Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Vincent Green. I'm your host, Noel John Tui. And this is Invasion of the Poly Snatchers. Let's get to it, motherfuckers. <laughs> All right, Noel, um, as we alluded to with our amazing world-class sound effects there in the intro. The, this, uh, so we're, uh, this time we're going to come back with another episode of Poly Snatchers, but not just any episode. We're going to do a tree for like we've done in many times before. And we haven't done in quite some time now. And that is a franchise Friday we've got coming up for all these fine folks. And the franchise that's going to be the focus of this Friday is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, which, you know, because of the new movie coming out there in last month on Netflix, we thought it'd be the best time possible to go and review this fucking crazy massacre and franchise to see what it can cook up for us and what we can cook up with it. So, Noel, what did you think revisiting the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise? And when's the last time you gave it all a watch through? Oh, I've never given it all a watch through. There was one or two I hadn't seen of the newer uh, ones. I don't think I'd seen four either. I thought I had. I thought I'd seen them all straight through. It's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's a huge property, but no, yeah. a few flew under my radar. And watching them all together was both. It was great. Like I mean, the seventies one was of its of was so the seventies, and the eighties one was so the eighties. It was absolutely insane. And then the nineties one was very ninety. They were very of their time. Yeah, they didn't feel. Yeah. Um, the continuity is absolutely fucked. Absolutely fucked. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I don't. I just, he just, he's just there with a family, and you're like, yeah. okay, everyone died in the last one. What, yeah. what happened to yeah. you? Where did all, you, where all did the you cousins? Go? All the cousins. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll take Leatherface in. It works out well for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone's dead again. Yeah. Oh, Thomas. Oh, no, it's actually Thomas <laughs> in the remake. It's Jebediah in the in the in the old ones, isn't it? Like, That's it. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I was thinking it could have been called, I just said before we went live, that could have been called the Sledgehammer Massacre. Yeah. Like an awful lot of people get taken out blunt force. Yeah. Um, the, the Meat Hook Massacre, we wouldn't have done it. Loves hanging a guy um, in a meat hook. Yeah. The, uh, they loves, lo- loves hanging himself a guy in a meat hook, which I think would be worse than the chainsaw, to be mm. honest. At least the chainsaw does its job and you're, yeah. and you're done for. Yeah, it'd be horrific then nonetheless, but it's game over. Like, you know, oh, me it's game over. Dangling. Yeah. Oh, it's just an awful, awful death. But uh, yeah, I love the brutality. And when you go back and watch it, you realize just how twisted a premise it was. I suppose yeah. that's been diluted in your head over the years. It's even a bit slapstick and silly to you. But mm-hmm. when you're watching, it's got like bone couches and old men that they feed blood to and all that kind of twisted stuff. It's yeah. really, really messed up. And it's really, really enjoyable for because you know how much that branched out looking at it in the 2020s. Yeah, how much that branched out into that and how, um, how it, what it, huge it influence it had in horror. Oh, huge, absolutely massive. What about you going back and revisiting them all? You've probably already done this at least once. Yeah, um, I've done this three times before. Um, I, most recently, about 12 months ago. Uh, I'm a big franchise guy. Um, the reason I love TV series is the long form storytelling. The closest thing you get to that in movies is a big franchise. And yeah. even though the continuity is not always in the same way as a TV series is, it's cool seeing how these stories or the characters or the premise or even the, the iterations um, evolve and how different storytellers can kind of bring these characters to life and life in different ways throughout the different decades, oftentimes, especially in horror. But um yeah, for me, I, I I love going through a franchise. Sex Chainsaw Massacre for me is one of the franchises that I haven't seen as many as the other franchises, like a Halloween, Afraid of yes. 13, Nightmare Street. I've watched them to death. He comes up in conversations. You say, oh, your letter faces and your blah, 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 blah. Uh, but the one that you're exposed at the least is definitely Letterface. Oh, of course. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because surely because of the brutality that is contained within these movies, they're not going to be on network TV as much as a Halloween, Afraid of 13, yeah. or Nightmare on Street, which is where we kind of stopped up our content growing up. Um, but like, uh, yeah, so I've revisited this franchise many times over the past several years because I do that a lot with horror franchises. It's kind of how uh, I people say to me, oh, how do you remember this? How do you remember that? Well, because I've continuously rewatched the franchises over the years, so I'm constantly refreshing my memory. So that's why we we're all constantly kicking Mr. Goodbeer's ass in horror trivia because I watch these franchises religiously. But of all the franchises of, uh, of the OGs, as we talked about, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, and Leatherface, he's the one I've been exposed to the least. But um, I'm getting more and more exposed to uh, myself over the past five or six years. But like, so in this first episode of Franchise Friday, we said we're going to be, it's going to be a tree for, we're going to split it up into three different sections. And the first uh, uh, episode, we're going to focus on the first four installments of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, Which going- takes place over 20 years, because that would be... 1974 to 1994. Yeah. And so they um, weren't like drilling them out like absolute, it's insanely, but they, but it, it's a nice little starting point. 
Yeah, it seems to me that with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, it gets dusted off every once in a while. Yes. You know, that kind of way, but more frequently in recent memory. Because, um, like, the, the later three installments, I think it was three movies in nine years, which is uh, kind of a lot for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And a lot yeah. Of, you know what I mean? Like, so. Maybe even, yeah, four and 12 or something. I think it might be 10, 13, 17, 22, something like that. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely been a lot more prevalent. Yeah, no, um, so we yeah, so we split these up in the way we thought made the most sense with the first four movies all being called Texas Chainsaw Mask one through four, and then there was a bit of a hiatus, and then there's the remake, reboot, uh just uh sorry. new beginning or something, yeah. Yeah, and so we pair them and this they'll be in the second episode, and the last one will be all the attempts to revitalize the series. Um, so no, we'll kick off into this episode now. So there's no denying the legendary impact that Texas Chainsaw Massacre had. Toby Hooper brought a lot of kids. He said they went down to 90 degree Texan heat. They were cooking themselves to death. There's a lot of kids that love film, love horror, just doing their thing. Um, what do you think of this franchise? Like its longevity is beyond question. It's almost 50 years old. Like, what do you think of it? When you were growing up, did you see a lot of this Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the early movies, as in the same way you would have seen or Halloween or whatever? I've seen the first. The first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and to a lesser degree, the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I would say I've seen, I'm just going to throw random numbers at a wall here, pretend eight and six times respectively. Yeah. I was well versed in those two movies. I loved them. They were almost like, uh, you know, your hall pass to a conversation with people who like horror. It just felt if you showed up and you go, but I've never seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> it just seems yeah. like you're not allowed. It's like that fanboy thing. You're just not allowed to do that. So yeah. I was well versed in the first two. And the first two to me, especially looking at the franchise, the three and four, I felt like three and four kind of wanted to be the first one again. They even had that like dinner scene where like, you know, you're tied, which the second one did too. But the second one seemed like it was actually trying to be at least a different film yeah. or the film taking place in a different time. It seemed to have actual continuity, especially bringing back some characters from the first one. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I loved the first two. And when I went back to watch them again, we're kind of like a clean slate and the, I can laugh at the campiness of it. And you can also be that kill. The first kill in Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the most iconic kills I've ever seen in my life. And it'll always be that. The girl gets dragged into the house. No, that's the second, because she goes yeah. in after her boyfriend. And that's where the big door opens up and he gets hit in the head with a lump hammer. And I, I realized earlier in the car, the, the guy who was in the wheelchair, I, can't, he's, I should have looked up his name, Franklin. Sally's brother, Franklin. Franklin. He was talking about the brutal way they used to kill cattle. It was with a lump hammer and it, often it didn't work on the first swing. So they have to hit them two or three times. And then later in the film, you see him, he gets hit, he falls, but he's twitching. Yeah. And then Leatherface goes down and kills him just like cattle. And I remember yeah. just thinking, now that's horror done right. Yeah. You know, like there was um, foreshadowing. It was graphic. It was kind of, for its time, it's extremely graphic. Yeah. And it, I just went, wow, that's that's the beginning of, like that was brave at the time to, to try and push the boat out. Maybe brave isn't the right word, but they tried to push the boat mm. out. Oh, no, brave is acceptable. Yeah, brave and, definitely. Um, and I don't think we'd be as, uh, what, what we can easily get away with now i think you have to look back at certain films like exorcist but i don't don't care if you like them or not Mm. you have to look back at exorcist you have to look back at um, nightmare on elm street you have to look back at scream even you have but you have to look back at texas chainsaw massacre and think they just just like bone couches and you know like incest and murder and people being literally using as livestock and they just threw it all at the wall that's what was so impressive for me as a horror aficionado Nothing yeah. else, nothing else pushed out the boat. And there's something, you know, when these things we love Michael Myers because he's indifferent yeah. to you. Like he just kills you. He, he thinks nothing of you. But there's something even more grotesque about being seen as lower down the food chain than you yeah. even are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the yeah. first two delivered that in a perfectly perverse, <clears throat> twisted way that I just I love them. What yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 the, the thing you mentioned about the cattle, uh, the the, uh, the mutilating the cattle or kill, sorry, the slaughtering of cattle, it's kind of always entwined within like uh, first the Sawyers that turned to the Hewlett's um, in um, Hewitt, sorry, in the remake, that they've always been this weird connection with the slaughterhouses in Texas. And like the, I think the whole idea was Toby Hooper was talking about, we see it in the 2006 prequel, that these people worked in the slaughterhouse. They've, it was all shut down 
and it's just talking about how uh, uh, capitalism has kind of abandoned certain people in these certain areas and it's led them to become more and more desperate and they're just an exaggerated version of this desperation in rural America at that time and I think that's why he was trying to encapsulate how people become so desperate that they're eating their own you know that kind of thing is like the most literal version of that and like not only that prosperity to desperation yeah the American dream kind of in reverse yeah and you look at the home they live in it's an old school like uh, plantation style house like obviously there's probably wealth in that family up until a point you know that kind of thing where it just it, it's it just shows you that the kind of the evolution of the American experience at that time that went away from these big rural kind of areas and became more urbanized and a lot of these once grand great places became dilapidated and kind of fell into ruin and the people that were left behind were left to deal with a very bad situation often turned to very desperate measures and obviously not a, a, a nobody turned to like, an, like i was going to say nobody i'm sure that it's minuscule how many people turn yeah. to cannibalistic incest but like it's taken to a fictional like, yeah extreme. exactly like you talk about drugs yeah. poverty but the story the underlying story is still there yeah, exactly. And that, that's the, the commentary he was trying to make at the time. But also, it's undeniable. He, he spoke about a very famous case in American history of Ed Gein, uh, the yes. guy who, the cannibal who, he, like, as we bought Love Blind Melon, the song Skin, uh, make shoe. Uh, I was like, make a shoe horse around your shin. Yeah, exactly. Make a lampshade. Oh, Jordan skin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, you caught me in the middle making... Uh, Rib cages into coffee tables. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm just uh, uh, making them into coffee tables. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you got that song. Um, uh, it just shows, the, like, the, all the different things he wrapped up um, into it. That he, he spoke about the, the kind of... Uh, not going to say civil unrest at the time, but the civil situation at the time, the social economical uh, situation in rural America at the time, and how he took a character like Ed Gein and said, "If I imagine if Ed Gein was put in this situation, I would imagine even more so if a family of Ed Geins were put in this situation, yeah. how would they react to the economical detriment that's been put upon them, and how would they fight back against the system?" And these young yuppies, these kind of hippie kids coming through their area is a perfect symbolism of the system that they're fighting against in their mind. Showing so, up in their back garden. Yeah, exactly. In the same way, like uh, I think Southern Americans call them carpetbaggers. The guys that come in and kind of pretty much take everything out of an area, all the natural resources, all the things that are valuable, and then go back up north again. Um, so I just think it's the case of that where he managed to capture a lot of these different things. And even though it's like a very, on the face of things, it's a very kind of singular uh, single note movie where it's very raw rough and ready especially the original but you have all these things wrapped up into it and that's how you use horror properly you, you, yeah. kind of, you know so i just thought it was very cleverly done but um i just something you touched on there was like you'd seen part one not more than part two and so have i uh, so have i well i think there's a 12 year gap between part one and part two and like that's very rare especially back in the 70s and 80s actually even going onwards to modern times when you have a very successful horror movie because it's so hard to get so right um that oftentimes we get many sequels very quickly after i mean yes. something to do with toby hooper probably owning the uh the rights probably the texas chainsaw massacre that was 12 years later that we got to see this movie uh get a follow-up do you think it's a case of creative control and toby hooper i know he came back and did a sequel or is it the movie itself was so polarizing at the time that it needed another generation to come about and needed to shift its mindset so people be more open-minded to seeing another installment in this franchise yeah because i say it was a yin yang to making a movie like this of course he galvanized himself in the horror community and i'm sure there was a lot of pushback and i'm sure there was a lot of questions that had to be answered and then you know you make this thing and you're proud of it and you maybe stand back and kind of go you know what i am not doing that again in any hurry i'm just not and it doesn't matter yes there's a financial component but we've seen people walk away from extremely lucrative jobs you know seinfeld gave up the ghost and just said yeah dave Chappelle." he just yeah it was absolutely the bank account could have got fatter but they had money. They wasn't. Mm. They weren't going to struggle that way. So they walked away. And I think maybe, maybe I actually don't know. Like, but twelve years when you have a franchise that kind of grips the nation, you know, because there is no such thing as bad press, and it's always kind of been true. Um, if you're a horror movie, especially if you're a horror movie, you know, they, to give like the fact that we're not supposed to watch it is probably a big driving force for young kids to actually watch horror. Yeah, um, forbidden fruit. The Forbidden Fruit, exactly. But with this one, I think it came back. I, I think it was definitely a lot campier. It was a lot more 80s. Yeah, he did it on purpose. The original. Yeah, so I think he came back and said, you know what, maybe maybe this will be a little bit less stressful. 
Yeah. You know, and it was. It, it still had a lot of those, it hit all of those notes, but I think it didn't, it wasn't as, it wasn't as twisted. It just didn't feel as twisted as the first one. Even though he shows up to those two douchebags in the car and he's wearing his brother's corpse suit from the first film. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's that, not that, like they tried to... Sh- the guys on like the radio. Try- yeah, the two dickheads on the radio. Uh, and uh, let's play chicken with this truck. Oh, God. You wanted them to die the second they were on there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really liked the second film, but the second film was definitely an easier watch. Yeah. There was, it wasn't even when she's at the table and they're doing the whole, the grandfather character is still alive, all of that. It didn't have any, it didn't hit the same gritty tones, yeah. whether that's, it felt like it wasn't supposed to. Yeah. I mean, you know, D- Dennis Hopper going in there with chainsaws, just armed with a, a series of chainsaws, which is just not yeah. the way to go about it. Like, I'm just going to tell anyone, if you want to counteract someone with a chainsaw, don't bring more chainsaws to the fight. Yeah. Bring a gun. Yeah. Right. Because if someone's coming at me with a chainsaw and I'm armed with a gun, I'm just going to shoot the saw where it has petrol. Oh, my God. I, I, and I, game I, over. I, I do did a rundown of horror weapons and he, he started with like, let's just say the, the kitchen knife and he got all the way up to like guns and stuff. But he was saying like the sword is better than a chainsaw. If you hit a chainsaw with a sword, the chain will dislodge. Yeah. It's not actually a great melee weapon. Now, don't get me wrong. If it gets you, the person, you put your hand up to stop it. It doesn't matter. It's a chainsaw. It's going to slice through you. Yeah. But it's actually not a great offensive weapon, even against other um, yeah. handheld offensive weapons. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Most saws aren't because you have to do the sawing motion to use yeah. them. <laughs> you know Absolutely. What I mean? yeah. yeah. So without friction, they're nothing. that's it so yeah i've gone in there with change again that was just the campiness and he was the uncle of sally and franklin from the from the first movie yeah and uh we have to understand that she went into a catatonic state which is why she wasn't and i guess the truck driver was killed and the car the guy who drove the car away with her just didn't want his wife to know where he was or something See, this is the thing you have to start straight away. You have to give it liberties. Yeah. Where did where did he go? <laughs> like, yeah, for you know, the twelve years. Yeah. Where did you go for the twelve years? You know. Yeah. Um, I think what uh, uh, I think what catches a lot of people off guard, and, and I know for a fact Toby Hooper did this on purpose, was to change the comp- tone completely. Like even if you look at the movie poster of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, it's a complete satire of the Breakfast Club. That was at around the same time. Um, he did that on purpose to mirror the the movie poster of Breakfast Club. So he was kind of doing this weird satire. But I just thought it was a very massive shift in tones. And that's why when you leave a franchise 12 years on the shelf and you have a director coming back, he's going to obviously evolve as a human being in terms of his taste and style, especially if he stays within the industry like Toby Hooper did. So when it comes time to make a sequel, when you have a very raw, very real, very authentic look in 1974 style and tone. It really captured the era and text change. It really that's did. Yeah. That's that's that shock factor that yeah. the 70s had. Yeah. It's just an excellent There's example. There's something it. about that cinematography. It looks so real. And then when you compare it to the satire and the over-the-top nature, the kind of grotesque gore that he tried to implement in part two, I'm not sure if it was the right idea. But I can applaud both of them for completely different reasons and why they're both actually excellent horror movies. The first time I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, um, Jesus, was probably within the last 10 years. And I was like, oh, that's not great. And then the more and more I watch it, the more and more I appreciate it. And the fact that I know now that Toby Hooper intentionally went for that tone and it wasn't just some sort of fucking yeah. like weird uh, sidestep, like, and he made this like, weird kind of outlandish movie. But he did this purposely. He made this movie. He wanted a satire, the kind of the the movies of the era at the time in the mid 80s. And he wanted to make this kind of weird kind of family movie. But they're all like this weird kind of, uh, I said weird like four times there, but they're all this kind of. <laughs> was it weird, Vinny? Uh, I think it was really weird. <laughs> I think it was weird. Texas Weird Saw Massacre. Uh, yeah. But, but having, uh, having Letterface fall in love with Stretch and, yeah. and have him like doing those weird gyrations towards yeah, you're saying it. Stuff. <laughs> oh god damn it, damn it. <laughs> all right that's the end of the podcast about it. that's the end of the podcast <laughs> are these eerie or unnatural uh, uh, did you check up on the synonyms i'm weird. looking at synonyms mysterious <laughs> 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 but um yeah so like i can understand uh 
why he shifted his tone because obviously he changed so much as a creator in 12 years which is unstoppable like it's it's something that you can't really be and the 80s is not the 70s that's kind of unstoppable as well you know yeah exactly like so he probably went from like an acid director to a cocaine director so you know know what what i mean (laughs) well said i think that's probably what it was that definitely had a more cocaine feel yeah so um uh, whereas the first one kind of used its uh uh, rawness and brutality to kind of create its intensity. The second one tried to use a more of a high octane story. The story is very fast paced. It moved along quite quickly. It introduced a lot it of key elements very early on, like Leatherface, as you said, was in pretty much the opening sequence. Like two guys on a bridge on a radio station, they're trash talking some guy. Um, no, they're road rage and some guy in a pickup truck, I think, isn't it? And then yeah. Leatherface, they, they the play chicken the with him, and yeah, then he catches up with them. Yeah, so. I just think that the second one, because of its difference in style, tried to implement its intensity in a very different way. And it just didn't really um, resonate the same way as the first one to a wider audience. But to me, I think it was very cleverly done. And I can understand the reasons for the shift in tone and style, because obviously Toby Hooper himself has shifted as a human being, because over a decade later, God knows the different exposures he had, different things, the types of media or content that he was in um, digesting over that 12 year period. So it's it's um unhelp uh it's something that can't be helped when you change so much as a person that your style will change along with it and I think that's the reason we have such a divergence between the style and tone of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part One in 1974 and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two in 1986. But like it, after those two movies came about and the impact they had, we were obviously going to see more in the franchise. That was without doubt. So the next one we got to see was uh. The one we touched upon a little bit before we started recording, because you couldn't remember who the because uh, we this franchise has a weird like ability to grab young stars before they make it big. And oh my god, not bad! It got bizarre. It yeah. got weird. I yeah, mean, the names you were not expecting. Yeah, so in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Three, we got to see Viggo Mortensen, Aragorn himself, show up as pretty much the main villain. Because I think the problem with uh, Letterface... he played the hitchhiker guy this time round. You know, not that he ever actually gets the ride, but that was his whole thing. Yeah, I think it was like I think when you have a case like Letterface, um, because he doesn't speak, um, they have this uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a temptation to add a secondary villain. And it seems to be a thing that happens a lot with these Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies that because Leatherface cannot carry the movie by himself as a singular villain, which is something we'll talk about in the Netflix movie later on, that we see a Viggo Mortensen, we see a Matthew McConaughey in Power 4, we see, uh, like, who's that dude that hangs out with him to go to steel plate in his head? In part two, you know what I mean? So the, oftentimes there's someone that's kind of the mouth of Letterface. The, 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 yeah. the holding his leash. Who could bring the insane, like, it can be the bridge, the insane bridge between that kind of twisted mind and you. Yeah, exactly. And he, he, yeah, he's right there in the middle. Like, he can like, communicate, but he's caught up in it as much as anyone. Letterface is the weapon. Somebody has to wield them kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's it, exactly. Actually, that, that's it, exactly. He's the muscle as well, you know? He's the one who will get his hands dirty. He's the one that cuts the meat. It's true. Yeah. And everyone does have their role. Yeah. Um, you know, Drayton had his role in the second one. He was the chef. He was the one who did the cooking. But yeah, everything, <laughs> everything kind of. That's the, into, uh, somebody, the chili. Uh, the chili. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fucking cook offs. Like, I thought that was ingenious that they were like, literally oh, yeah. Themselves. It was kind of like Fight Club member. It's, it's selling them back their own fat as soap. <laughs> yeah yeah no that's exactly it and they're like and they're you know rewarding him for it yeah like not yeah. only is he getting away with it but he's being rewarded for it now it's your turn to eat your young that kind of thing like you know yeah I mean? absolutely like, yeah it's crazy um, isn't it yeah so when we watched part three uh lorraine my missus she watched all these nine movies with me and um, when we watched part three this was the one we actually had the least recollection of um because as i said we only watched the series in the, the past 12 to 14 months give or take um uh, all the way through so part three i had very little recollection of i could like in terms of the final girl in compared compared to part four which is Renee Zellweger, part two you said was stretch and part one was sally it's not sally um a harbinger, yeah. harbinger or something tree has a michelle i think yeah it? so i think let's talk a little bit about part three now so i in my opinion it's probably the most forgettable of the entire series what's your opinion? yes i actually quite liked it but i'm after watching all of them 
I'm finding that it's the one that's fading. Yeah. I'm not, it's definitely not the one I, I like the least by any stretch of the imagination, mm. but it's definitely the one that just doesn't have the same impact. Yeah, it doesn't have the same impact. It, it kind of brought in, like, it had the Benny character who came in and he was like a survivalist. And it kind of, it tried, it didn't, it wasn't from lack of trying. I just don't think it landed. I think yeah. it tried to do too much of what the first two films had already done. Yeah. So that in your mind, it can get lost in the quagmire of what you've literally just sat through. Because I watched three, one, two, three in the same day. Yeah. And okay. three just felt like there were, it was trying to be number one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mean the best Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean actually trying to be the first film. Yeah, that that happens sometimes when you get franchises that go on through many uh, installments. That yeah, you, you oftentimes see one that tries to revert back to the original style, kind of like yeah. Aliens. Like Alien, Aliens is completely different. Alien Three try to revert back to Part One, but like, oh, we'll give them no weapons. You know that kind of thing. Like it's kind of like we'll go back to the original ingredients, but we'll try to up the stakes somehow. Um, and that's what Part Three kind of tried to do, but it lacked the rawness. I think of the first uh, the first movie. It's like there's two of the movies in this that kind of came across to me almost like TV movies. And Part 3 was one and Texas Chainsaw 3D with uh, Alexander Daddario. That kind of had a feel of a TV movie to me as well. But um, so like, I, I think Part 3, when you come to a franchise, is often hard to follow Part 1 and 2 if Part 1 and 2 are good. Like this is something we always talk about in superhero franchises, the curse of the trilogy, the... The third one. You try so hard to 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 mm. to be or be something original while also not because you obviously want to hit the notes that made the first two, and I think it got lost trying to hit those notes, and it didn't try and do its own thing enough, and it yeah. was like you say, curse the trilogy. It just fell into itself. Yeah. I think it just collapsed under its own weight. Yeah, like Vigo Morrison was good in it. He was. Mm. It's good, in but it wasn't enough to carry it. Yeah, it's something you talk about a lot with horror movies is that like it's very easy to get your premise over, but you have to stick the landing. It's something that oh. you it's so important in horrors that then of any other franchise, because the reveal at the end or the big sequence at the end is so important in a horror movie that if you don't stick the landing, it really sours your taste the rest of the movie. Do you think really Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 is like that, or do you think it was just kind of portrayed out? I just yeah, I actually think it just kind of fizzled out. I, I, I like I don't think it was I think there was love put into it I think they wanted so badly for it to actually work it just yeah. didn't do you think it was a case of part one was so like unique in the way it came about and part two was so different to part one that when you have part three reverting back to part one it's smacked of lack of originality in comparison yes. to the sequel and they tried to throw in like action scenes where eventually like the um Benny or whatever he, he he looks inside and he sees they're torturing the girl and he just I don't know what sort of rifle or whatever he had where he just starts firing in and killing everybody and he shoots the granddad to death in the chair and all this kind of stuff and then it's like a a big shoot him up in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which isn't really how they roll. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, now you're just put in an action. Don't get me wrong. I like a bit of action in my horror, but Texas Chainsaw is about the brutality and and action and brutality are not the same thing. They yeah. can overlap, but they're not the same thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like, you know, somebody getting their ear shot off and stuff like that. And I just, I don't know. I, I felt afterwards I was, I was nonplussed. You know what I yeah. mean? I, I, I had no strong feelings or no ill will towards this film whatsoever. Do you think it could be a case of uh, that's a bad thing, by the way, as well, because you didn't feel either or like a movie yeah. should make you feel so just but do you oh, think, yeah, I had I had general appetite towards yeah. it, to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah, do you think it's a case of the miss they're missing the point ever so slightly about what made the first one so scary? Is that yeah. these teens are so over overly matched, they're so outmatched by the family that they're going up against and Leatherface himself. They're completely helpless. They're completely isolated from the rest of society because of how rural this uh, area of Texas is. And then when you put part two, you get someone like a Dennis Hopper that can almost fight Leatherface. You're taking some of that helplessness away. You got part three, you got that guy Benny who has like a rifle and kill all these people from a distance. Leatherface is not close to personal killer. Once again, you're slightly taking some of that helplessness away that maybe sometimes that what makes Leatherface so scary is not himself but the people he's going up against and sometimes if you give his adversaries too much strength it sometimes take away that Good overall point, yeah. scariness of him you know that kind of way yeah absolutely like when somebody who's aware of the danger is a survivalist by nature and is well armed yeah you are thinking it does take away that like Franklin in a wheelchair complete with absolutely no idea what's going on Can't get getting away. attacked 
like going over rough terrain. So he, even if he even if he had a running head start, he literally his disability would mean that he just couldn't knock away quick enough, get attacked. That he was completely helpless, and that was a brutal death. So yeah, you have gone too way too far the other way, and I do yeah. I do think that. The, ha- the helpless kids that, that kind of overcome it, but they overcome it because their other option was dying. That's it. Yeah. That's yeah. why they overcome it because there was nothing else to do. And some of them try to overcome it, but do end up dead. Yeah. You know, so it, it's, yeah. So I do, I think it went too far the other way. I think once the tables had been turned in that film, um, yeah. Ego Morrison goes up in flames quite literally. Um, you know, the family up get all but not all, but completely wiped out in that very scene. Yeah. And then it just kind of fizzles out. And I do, I do think you raised a good point. I'd be lying if I said I, I thought about it in those terms. But yeah. when you, you look back at through that that lens, it does make sense to me. I like yeah. the desperation. I like the, the, the against all odds, you know. Yeah, I think that's why, like, you know, um, when you look at, like, Friday 13 to Halloween, Nightmare on M Street, they stuck to their ingredients of putting helpless teens against this unkillable, almost unkillable creature, like almost unkillable killer, like, you know, this kind of force of nature. And you felt really, really like scared for them because you could really relate to them, but you can't really relate to a survivalist fully armed doesn't go in and start killing all these people from hundreds of yards away. By the time Netherface comes to him, you could probably pop off eight or nine shots at him and get the fuck out of Dodge if you want to, you know, that kind of thing. So I Absolutely, think yeah. so sometimes the height and the tread, the tread factor of the villain and you need to really keep the threat factor of the uh, the victims down and i think that might be in the imbalancing act with part three because they're too many capable victims in air quotes in terms of the adversaries towards health uh, i keep going to call them hellface but letterface it's like our it's something you touched upon i don't know if you said it on it but like our is vigo mortensen uh, a sawyer as well are they really yeah, see that's the thing they, they, they never like it's like okay everyone got wiped out and he just like picks up and moves across like three miles down the road to the closest neighbor. And now he just moves in with them. And yeah. they also have a slaughterhouse kind of set up at the back. Yeah. I don't know. They never, that's the thing. That, I, so you look at it and if I told you that, oh no, that's a, uh, a rebrand, it's a revamp. You would have yeah. believed me because you'd have absolutely no reason not to. Yeah, like you like wouldn't even bother Googling it. You'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah, it actually makes sense now that I think about it. I wouldn't, like if you told me that, I wouldn't, I would not check that out at all. I would 100% take you at your word. Yeah. <clears throat> and why wouldn't I? <laughs> you know, yeah. wouldn't I? what evidence was it? They never address anything that happens really before. Yeah. Uh, or do, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, actually, I do. I think there was, yeah, they find a lot of bodies and stuff at the start, but that just means that murders have been happening. It doesn't mean that the original timeline is intact. Yeah. Uh, so, no, yeah, I think they just said, right, let's just make the movie. And they got it together and it was like, we said, like, I don't want to get bogged down in exposition. It's we're a twist. It's a twisted fuck up family tale. Let's yeah. just keep it that way. Yeah. And I'm, and Back to in basics. one way, and in one way, I actually hate when a film gets bogged down in exposition. So yeah. if it was to be too much exposition, like, don't get me wrong, get the balance right would have been ideal. But if it was yeah. going to be one or the other, too much exposition or none, I'd rather have none. Yeah, exactly. But especially when it comes to uh, something you just said was like, they're just a crazy bunch of family that kind of kill and torture people and have yes. slaughterhouse their own. Uh, that's enough exposition for me. Yes. Because of the type of people who they are explains their motives. I don't need to know their mm-hmm. motives because their motives are just are crazy and they like to eat people. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And probably have it's kind of like them. the landscape, like you kind of alluded to earlier, is the landscape and uh, the era that kind of gives you your storyline. Like you said, the, we, we have the word now and that's like gentrification. It's moving resources from one areas into other areas. Yeah. Even taking over those areas in an industrial sense of bleeding the industry industries from other areas. You know, and, like that's your overlap. And yeah. then you can just have fun inside of it. They're not a complicated family. They're not an intelligent family. Yeah. You know they're 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 borderline bestial, but uh, yeah. so you don't have to yeah you don't have to bog down in exposition too much. Although I think Viggo Morrison was the first kind of like you could imagine him being a cross country serial killer character yeah. they brought in. Like he was a little bit smooth. Yeah, like the Green you know River I mean? Killer or something. That kind of un, unassuming, kind of slightly charming kind of dude. And devious. Like he he was like, oh no, get out of here, get out of here. Like trying to, but like it was all part of his plan. He was like, yeah. he was playing them from the moment he met them. So he was the first kind of that kind of character that they brought in. But yeah, you didn't need to, they didn't need to bog itself down. Yeah. So uh, do you just think part three is a case of trying to be too much like the original when you had such a unique sequel that it became in direct comparison to the original, whereas the sequel avoided comparisons because it was so different? The sequel of, yeah, even though it touched on the whole like dinner scene, which they just seem to insist on having. Yeah. There's a girl tied up at the top table and she meets the entire family and she says nasty things to them and they tell her to watch her tone. 
that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I, I do. I just think it was like this one, the, the second one at least had the whole radio station trying to solve a murder. Uncle of the original Kill Kids came in, battle between Chainsaw and Chainsaw and all this kind of stuff. The third one didn't have any of that. Like, I'm going to save you, sister. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Hopper is like on 11 all the way through Texas Chainsaw Massacre oh, 2. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. my God. He's so fucking insane. He's coked off his tatas in that movie. Uh, yeah, apparently he's on mescaline in one scene. Yeah, <laughs> sounds <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but before, yeah, before we kind of go back and start kind of going through the, the first uh, four movies, we, we go to part four and... Um, you can give me your thoughts on this. So something I said to you earlier was Rene Zellweger um, appeared and so did Matthew McConaughey for his Texas Chainsaw Master kept this weird streak of catching actors like uh, Dennis, uh, Dennis Hoppers in the sequel. Like he got fucking Viggo Mortensen in Power 3 and now Rene Zellweger, Matthew McConaughey is in this. And Matthew McConaughey's like something we said about was he's like the mouthpiece for the fight, the crazy family in the sequel or in the in Power 4 and Rene Zellweger plays the final girl. So what do you make of this? And do you think when this movie was marketed first, because every poster I see now, it says Randy Zellweger, Matthew McConaughey on, on it. Do you think when this movie was marketed first, that their names were banded about in the same way that they are now oh, attached to it? Because I doubt it. God, no. Uh, Who was Rene Zellweger in 1994? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was so. This is what I'm talking. We've got Viggo Morrison. Now, now we've got Matthew McConaughey and Randy Zellweger showing up. Like, these people will go on to have absolutely... Ludicrous careers, yeah, I know. I think, but that's it, you know. Jennifer Aniston, and it just seems strange now that she was in um Leprechaun and stuff. But here we are, you know. Kevin Bacon, Friday the Thirteenth. Yes, um, there is a scene in this I'm going to talk about before we actually forget it. But there is a scene where Matthew McConaughey showed up today. This one has. Uh, prom night and they go for a drive and they're in a car accident where they shouldn't yeah. be in a car accident that's how they end up and then there's one guy hurt and one guy stays behind while the others go to get help and Matthew McConaughey shows up and he breaks the guy's <laughs> neck that's on the ground and he chases the other guy the other guy had never had an acting class in his entire life I've seen I've seen better porns and Matthew McConaughey who was just a great actor uh, was chasing him down and he was going please mister stop chasing me I didn't do anything to you Please, mister, I'm tired. And Matthew McConaughey is like, you know, pure sadistic mode. And he's got the he's got the whole crazy eyes and bells and whistles. And I was just, it was horrifying. I've yeah. never seen a disparity in acting <laughs> made out before me. It's dramatically. Like, and then he just, I think he just runs over him. I don't think it's a big, you know, thank yeah. God. I think he just runs over him. And then he kind of puts him and the other dead guy in the back. And he goes and picks up Randy Zellweger a few minutes later. But I was just like, oh, my God. Oh my god! Like the director must have been like, "Thank fuck, I'd match him with God." God, like what? This won't get off the ground. This I was love, a good film, I have to say. I actually enjoyed this film. I love the way he snuck in the all right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Movie, like. And it was in some. It was in relation to some. He was pretending like, oh, you know, like batter up, or he was with NASCAR or something. Okay, yeah. we've got ourselves erased. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely brilliant. What do you I'd think? Say, I was going Sorry, to, go ahead. Do you think it was necessary for him to have that weird robo- uh, robotic leg brace? <laughs> I don't guess. <laughs> and I'll never understand what that leg brace was supposed to be. Ran by remote controls, just left around the house. Yeah, yeah. ran by remote control. Like the master remote control. Yeah. Like, it, oh, God. I, I don't know what that was. Did it, I wanted that. It was that one of these things that Matthew McConaughey might have insisted on, you know? <laughs> oh, and, and, and he has a remote control leg. No, Matthew. <laughs> remote control leg or I walk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I just thought, like, it was distracting and unnecessary. Like, I, I just don't understand what did it bring to the movie? Like, like they use it so often as a plot point as well. It's like, it was like, when they were working up the script, I don't know if it was after McConaughey came on or something, but it was like, well, there was an iteration of the script in the middle of the screen, and there's a shit ton of references to the leg brace. Like, the leg brace is a central focus of this fucking movie. Like, there's many times, or many times where he's, like, in a situation where he's about to kill someone, or he's actually killing someone, where the leg brace is either used against him for the person to escape or uses yeah. the leg brace to kill that person. Like one stage where he starts pressing on the button extra hard and he's like, Julian is crushing the person's head. Like, I yeah. don't know. I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's a weird pro- a plot point for me. I don't know. Leg brace, whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. He crushes someone's head because apparently he can do that. And uh, yeah, then another point, she gets the remote and just fucks him up. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was a silly thing to focus on. It also had kind of stuff that was never revisited. You know, I did like the douchey guy. You know, the like uh, <laughs> the guy who gets caught k- kissing his girl, this other girl, and ends up in the car. Yeah. He was he was one of my favorite characters. He played the douche quite well. But Matthew McConaughey kind of. He chewed up the scenery, but I think like when the acting around you is not particularly good, I think you might have to. Yeah. And uh, I think Renée Zellweger played her role commendably because she wasn't this badass character at any point. Again, like she's just survival kicks in. Yeah. And she does everything she needs to do to survive. It hit a lot of those tropes, but I felt this film had a little bit more of the soul of the yeah. first two in it than, than the third one. Uh, yeah. It had a little bit more drama. It was a little bit more twisted. It was a little bit more violent. Uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed this one. I have to say, I think yeah. I was just in the mood for it, though. I think after part three you know, was a bit blah. Yeah, after part three was a bit blah. I was like, yeah, actually, you know what? I can, I can, I can definitely do that. Yeah, no, is it? It was a bit manic. Um, the the fourth one for me, and once again, I think which was kind of like an issue with the third one. That even though Leatherface is like literally called Leatherface, something we t- talked about before he came on here it was like it's called part three is called Leatherface. Text Chains and Masks is actually the subtitle. The Leatherface doesn't actually. Like, like appear a lot in part three and four in comparison to the first two movies like he's there but like the central focus kind of happens upon is that Matthew McConaughey is kind of like the focus of the fourth movie and I think that's an issue where the people that felt that they needed this kind of manic mouthpiece to instill the fear into the audience and it kind of distracted away from Leatherface as the franchise went on because like in the first movie, Leatherface is the, the main component of terror. And same with the second movie, even though we have that dude with the steel plate in his head. But um, the third movie, Viggo Mortensen kind of became the main um, threat in it. And in the fourth movie, Matthew McConaughey became again the main threat. I just think when you have these kind of over-the-top manic kind of uh, characters, that when you have a silent killer, it can distract away from what was supposed to be, the, you know, the preconceived threat of this movie which is yeah. Leatherface and I think that was the issue with Matthew McConaughey because he was so over the top that he became the central antagonist of the movie and he distracted oh, he definitely did. I think Viggo Morrison did but I think like uh, and we could debate that I think Matthew McConaughey did and we can't yeah you know I think yeah and that's the thing like it it it, it lends something like we said it's a way of almost communicating with Leatherface because this this is somebody who can speak who but do you know like uh, in one of the more recent Halloween films where he's killing his therapist and the therapist, last thing he says to him is just say something, just anything, yeah. you know, yeah. before you kill me, just say something, anything. And at no point does Michael communicate with anybody. Ever. Yeah. And I kind of like that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I but it's, I guess. got you know, nothing left to say. But that's it. But Letterface is supposed to exist inside of the family dynamics. So I do get that it can't be the same, but I'm just saying that like him talking was never important to me. Yeah. But obviously he can't carry a film on his shoulders if you wanted to have a cast of characters. You need characters. And that's yeah. what they got with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, and I, I think that's something that the franchise suffers from from time to time, that the, the central um, antagonist is supposed to be Leatherface, but because they give, they always seem to pair him with a much more manic mouthpiece, that the manic mouthpiece kind of becomes the antagonist instead. And uh, that was the, the balancing act with the first, like with the first one, you kind of had that old dude the kind of father figure and he was kind of like the mouthpiece but Leatherface was consistently doing the kills and he was consistently hunting people down and I think when you have part three and four Matthew McConaughey and Viggo Mortensen do a few kills themselves and I just think that takes away from who the overall threat's supposed to be and that's supposed to be Leatherface and I just think that's where they kind of missed the beat or missed the trick from the first two that Leatherface is the threat he is this like rabid dog once unleashed you cannot fucking you cannot put him back on the leash unless you actually control him. And very few people yeah. actually control him. And I just think that they didn't kind of let him off the leash enough in part three and four for me. And I think that's why they're slightly weaker than the first two, because they forgot who the threat was supposed to be, you know? Yeah, they got bogged down in these characters that they were trying to um, that they were trying to build up. Yeah. And they forgot that we don't need that. We just want it to be kind of have that. Yeah. charm and that's that's the thing that's like what what gets so lost as these kind of grow is just this charm that, that, that we don't need doesn't need to be i don't know overt or over the top it doesn't need to kill like 50 people it just needs to have that desperation and that twisted kind of um mainstay that is the family and this one was definitely like again i had like match mcconaughey could just be a serial killer yeah 
you know, just like an actual not eating human flesh, not like staying with a you know incestuous family, yeah. um, somewhere along the Bible Belt or in Texas or wherever, and he could have just been on the road killing people because again he had the charm and charisma and you know he had the baby baby blues or whatever he could kind of talk his way into out of something um i like the family being twisted malcontents that nobody would if they had free will would interact with at all i yeah. kind of wanted them yeah i like them to be kind of looked down on you know we looked yeah. down on them so they looked down on us that was very much so what the first kind of two iterations were yeah and this one, like, I don't know what his deal. They gave him, like, a, a prosthetic leg or, like, yeah. a robot cybernetic <laughs> leg. But there was nothing wrong with him. He was good-looking, like, you know, in-shape, intelligent guy. Like, yeah. you know, like, I they're don't like, know why he just didn't leave. Yeah, they're probably like, oh, no, we have to make him weird somehow because he looks too normal. So we have to give him, like, a fucked-up leg or something. You know? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And they never even show a fucked-up leg. There's just a leg inside of a brace, which, yeah. again, would have been fine, but... I don't know what the cybernetics were supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, they could have shown us like a fucking malformed leg or something, like you know what I mean. Yeah, a malformed leg would have done, yeah. the, done the trick nicely. Um, but like, yeah, so when you look over the first four um Texas Chainsaw Massacre installments, like which one, like obviously the first one was obviously the one that left the most impression on all of us, like not just me and you, but the horror yeah. community. And that, but that's the benefit of the first Quiet yeah. Place, and that's the benefit of first Nightmare on Elm Street. It just the uniqueness. Uh, yeah, the uniqueness is going to be there in the first one. If you can't, like, the, the Quiet Place 2 was always going to be yeah. less than the Quiet Place 1 because that completely new territory was was explored. So, yeah. but, but it's still undeniable. Yeah, the first one, of course, the best one. Yeah, and I think, like, of all the franchises had, like, the first four, even though the sequel was very different in part one and part three and four were kind of like more middling of the road. Like in terms of the dip in quality, it, it held its quality pretty decently considering the movies had a decent few years in between. It was like, what was between three and four, like four, like four or five years, five or six years, 12 years between one and two. So like, I, I just think like over the horror, the first four horror franchises or the first four installments of a horror franchise where a lot of them kind of dipped drastically as they expanded, these movies didn't actually dip so drastically, even though like part two is a bit of an outlier in terms of its tone, that in terms yes. of quality, it is it's still up there. You know what I mean? Like, um, so I, I think how oh, the first four movies, part one's obviously the best, and part two is obviously the most unique. But like I just love the way it, it um manages to keep its grotesqueness, even if it's in different ways. And that's what I like about the first four installments, that it's dead visceral. Even if the viscer, uh, viscerality is that even a word of viscer, visceralness, <laughs> but um, yeah, even if that's it, like so, pretty much whatever way, uh, whatever word I was trying to use, but uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. So I just like the way that it kept its uh, its type of gore going along nicely, and even though the family dynamic type thing kind of does wear a little bit thin after a while, it, it's it's trope. It's so I can understand why it does go back and depend on that. And because the other face is an unspeaking villain, even though we've seen Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers carry films plenty of times, they don't speak. So I, I just think like the terms of quality, it definitely doesn't dip the way a lot of horror franchises does or have. Um, and I like the way it kept its score and uh, throughout the series. So it kind of understood what made it a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, if you know what I mean, and never lost the yeah. identity that way. So I can applaud it for that. But uh, I think just for three and four, they're just a bit flat in comparison to the first two, which were so unique, you know? Yeah, exactly. The first, and it was, it was just a case of what we do with horror. It, here's a property, so we'll just make more of them. And yeah. uh, I'm not even complaining. I'm just stating that as a matter of fact. Yeah. But uh, they obviously, they try to, like quite often the first ones, the personalities, like the, the, that weren't, that were in any way relatable, even in a twisted sense, were the, the victims. Yeah. And then as they went on, I feel like it became more about like more dialogue and more screen time was given to the family. So or the, wordy. you know, yeah, it became very wordy and I get bogged down in that. And uh and for me, the best scene ever is that first kill where the guy just the door slides open, it has absolutely virtually no build up. He goes into the house, says hello once or twice, door opens up, sledgehammer to the head. It was brutal. Yeah. It was there was no there was no build up to it or there was no um 
I know there was it wasn't a flowery with dialogue or anything like yeah. that. And I think as it went on, yeah, they were trying to get a little bit more like, and isn't this all very scary? What's happening? But yeah. uh, let me explain to you again what the situation is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it got bogged down in its own exposition, isn't it? It got bogged down in its exposition, which we've already kind of touched on, but it did, didn't it? Yeah. Even though it doesn't feel like they're trying to explain much, but they just uh, spend so much time, like, um. You know, the dinner scenes get longer where they've got Renée Zellweger, who yeah. have you, tied to a chair, nailed to a chair, and she's just, it just goes on and on and on. You know? So, so I think... She even says, kill me or don't. <laughs> you know, like even she says says not, like, probably not even scripted. She's like, I'm just done with this fucking scene. <laughs> yeah. so, so Talking like, to the director, like, look at me. Just the camera. me. <laughs> get me away from my colleague. You said, all right, all right, all right. Um, but like, he's taking his shirt off. Imagine how just like every time in between scenes, he won't let him do it on camera. So he just takes his shirt off in between scenes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has to take his shirt off, yeah. He's but, allergic uh, to fabric. <laughs> so do you think, like, before we get the fuck out of here, um, do you think Texas Chainsaw Massacre is at its best when it's completely at its leanest? Yes. Like, oh, yeah, I think, I just... think, yes, I, I just do. I just, I just think, I, I, like, I mean, the first Hellraiser is always going to be the best Hellraiser was Med in a House. Yeah. You know, I do. I think they try to go bigger and bigger is not always better. We've said this a hundred times yeah. that they said, yeah, but what if we like fight them like off world and there's a thousand of them? Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like if it works, it works. Aliens worked. Yeah. But, um, it, it quite often it's like, that's not an idea. That's not a concept. Yeah. That's just, it's cheap. It's, it's just it's more. Just quite, yeah. It's just more. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, do you have anything else you want to say about the first four text chains of rescue movies? You get the fuck out here. Uh, no, get the fuck out of here. All right, folks. So uh, that was, uh, this is Invasion of Polly Snatchers. I'm your host, Vincent Green. I'm your host, Noel John Dewey. And that was the first part of our franchise Friday with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 through 4. And I hope you come back for part two because we'll be massacring with some more chainsaws. We'll be incestuating with some more cannibals. It's what we do around here. It's what we like. It's what we do. Yeah, it's what we do. We do what we do. What we do, do what, what we, we do. do. What we do. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, folks. See you next time. Peace. Peace. Yeah.